Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. In your pew Bible, it is page 19 in the New Testament section. We'll be reading Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison that he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went up and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Good afternoon, church. Let's, let's take a moment to pray before we go into God's word. I want to thank you for the words of the song that we sung. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And Lord, we need you now, even as we look at your holy and authoritative word that speaks to us here and now. I pray that you would give us understanding, eyes of faith, a heart that's responsive to you. And I pray that you would strengthen me, that Jesus would be glorified. In his name we pray. In a recent CBS Sunday morning interview, Taylor Swift talked about forgiveness. She said, people go on and on about how you have to forgive and forget to move past something. No, you don't. No, you don't. Scott Hershevitz, writing for the New York Times, does some post-game analysis of this interview and was explaining this way. You don't have to forgive and to forget to move on. And sometimes you shouldn't forgive or forget. You should resent. You should resent. Now, I want to be sympathetic to Taylor Swift and others who might think like her because forgiveness is hard. I mean, each one of us, we have a sense of justice that God has given to us. So when something wrong has been done, something wrong has been done to us, if we've been wrong, we have an innate desire for things to be made right. And on more than one occasion, Taylor Swift has been wrong. You might remember a couple years ago, she was accepting a music award. She got up on stage. 
she was being recognized for some work she, she had done. And then Kanye West follows, up, follows her up on stage, grabs the microphone, and, and basically says, somebody else should have won this award, not you. Somebody else. So in a moment that was designed to bring her honor and recognition was actually turned on its head. It was a moment of dishonor and disrespect. Now whether you like Taylor Swift or her music or not, none of us like being publicly humiliated. Interestingly enough, though, the article doesn't end with you should resent. Because all of us know that if you hold on to bitterness, it eats you up on the inside like acid. Just tears you apart. So Taylor Swift talks about a second option. Just become indifferent and move on. So if you don't want to forgive and forget, you, got, you have resent and then you have move on as two other options. So resent or move on. We can understand that need, that temptation within each one of us to resent. Because if you've ever had an injustice done to you, you want that made right. But you know that at some level, you can't just keep on resenting, otherwise it'll just eat you up and tear you up from the inside. So you have to move on. But the question that's not answered by Taylor Swift or the post-game analysis is the question of how. How do you switch from one to another? I mean, if something's bothering you, if you've been wrong, how do you just become indifferent and move on? So as we take a step back, Taylor Swift's answer is, leaves us deeply unsatisfied. Leaves us deeply unsatisfied. But we as Christians, we have the answer to the question of forgiveness. We're going to see that in the parable of the unforgiving servant. And before we dive into this parable, I want us to take just a few moments to retrace Matthew chapter 18. What led Jesus to teach this parable to his disciples? What led to this point in the narrative? A few months back, you might remember Leo preached a sermon on church discipline. That's Matthew 18, verses 10 through 20. That's the passage immediately following this section. And this was the main takeaway from that message. Jesus commands us to respond to our brother's sin with the courage and grace of the Father. So when someone sins against us, when someone sins within the church, we need to respond with the courage and grace of the Father. So Jesus doesn't give us the easy way out. He doesn't allow us to just ignore the sin, sweep it under the rug, just move on, pretend nothing happens. Jesus doesn't allow us to tell everybody else about it, gossip about it behind the person's back. Jesus doesn't allow us to go on the offensive, to go attack the person back, to resent. Jesus commands us to humbly and directly tell the person who has offended us with the hope that they would repent. But if at any point in time our offending brother or sister repents, they're to be welcomed back, they're to be received. And that's the key. If at any point in time the brother or sister repents, they're restored fully and completely within the fellowship. And so that leads to Peter's question in Matthew 18, verse 21. So if you don't have your Bibles open, please follow along. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how, many, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as 
seven times? Now, we've already seen how Taylor Swift might answer. She would say, well, if you don't want to forgive, you have the other options of resent or move on. But at this point, Peter knows that's not the way of the kingdom of God. So he says, should I forgive seven times? Seven times? Now, I want us to appreciate what Peter is offering to Jesus at this moment. What Peter is offering, the seven times forgiveness for the same sin, it, it would have been seen as extreme for that time. You see, the Jewish rabbis, they taught that forgiveness should be limited. I mean, you are to forgive, you have to forgive, but it's limited. When someone commits the same sin, you can forgive them up to the first three times. So the first time they commit the sin, you forgive. Second time, forgive. The third time, forgive. But on the fourth time, the rabbis taught there would be no forgiveness. Forgiveness was limited to three times. So Peter, thinking, probably thinking he's being rather generous at this point, says, well, seven times? I mean, seven's the number of perfection. Seven is more than double the, the standard number of forgivenesses, three. And maybe Peter is thinking that, well, he's offering seven. This, this is a slam dunk. Like, I got this, seven. Jesus is going to respond with what he, the way he responded two chapters earlier. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But Jesus doesn't give Peter an A+. He drops a bombshell. Drops a bombshell. Let's look at verse 22. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 77 times. In other words, Peter, you're thinking about this the wrong way. Not seven times, but 77 times. In some translations, it has, you, know, you might say, 70 times seven, which would give you 490. But that's not the point, whether it's 77 or 490. The point is that if you're counting, you've missed the point. This number 77, it's probably an echo from Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, you have this character in the Bible named Lamech. Lamech says, I have killed a man for wounding me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So Lamech in Genesis 4 is saying, hey, somebody hurt me. Somebody wounded me, and I paid him back seventy-sevenfold. I killed him. But Jesus takes this principle of revenge, revenge 77-fold, and turns it around to forgiveness 77-fold. Commentators Davies and Allison puts it this way. Forgiveness, like love, must be limitless. One is not being commanded to count, but to forgive without counting. One is not being commanded to count, but to forgive without counting. We see, see here the contrast between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of King Jesus. The wisdom of the world says, you don't feel like forgiving, you can resent or you can move on. But Jesus calls us to unlimited forgiveness, forgiveness without counting. Something that's so radical so different, it just doesn't make sense in our world. 
you can imagine Peter's jaw is probably dropped to the ground. He thought he was doing pretty well by offering seven times, forgiving seven times, but now Jesus has completely blown that number out of the water. And before Peter can raise any questions or objections, Jesus begins to explain what he means. Let's look at verses 23 through 26. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Jesus wants to back up his point, not seven times, but 77 times, with this parable. And a parable has a particular spiritual point. And whenever you read a parable, make sure you don't try to overanalyze it. You know, when you over, you're, you're, you're overanalyzing when you take every little detail and try to map it onto a particular spiritual truth. Usually a parable has one overall spiritual truth, one overall theological point, and that's raising the question, how are we going to respond to God? How are we going to respond to God? And there's two ways to respond. There's a right way and a wrong way. A way that eventually leads to life or a way that eventually leads to death. The way of wisdom or the way of foolishness. And God in this parable is represented as a king, a king who is settling accounts. And Jesus is the king and each one of us were accountable to him one day. It's not a question of if, but when. Each one of us were appointed to die once, and then comes judgment. A day of reckoning comes. And when this king begins to settle, someone is brought to him who owes him 10,000 talents. This is like Jesus saying, someone owed a bazillion dollars. Scholars point out that 10,000 was the highest numerical placeholder in the Greek language. And the talent was the highest denomination of currency. So you've got the highest placeholder and the highest denomination of currency. So Jesus is basically saying, you know, pulling out the biggest possible numbers here. But to give you some idea, if you were a day laborer, if you worked, uh, you, would need, you would need to work 100 million days, 100 million days to earn 10,000 talents. Okay. 10,000 talents, that, that would have been more money than was in circulation in the whole country at the time. Okay, so this, this is, these are the kind of numbers we're talking about. Beyond trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Mind-boggling, beyond our imagination kind of numbers. And because the situation is so desperate and this debt so large, he has to be sold off. His wife, his children, everything he has. And even with that, it, would have, it wouldn't have even put a debt into this debt. I mean, the, the king might have been able to recover one talent from all that. You might be wondering, how did this servant get into a situation where he got into a debt he could never repay? Or maybe you're wondering about the king. How could the king give this servant a line of credit like that and allow the servant to get into this kind of debt? Well, the parable doesn't give us an answer. It just, it just shows us this, that this servant 
is in an impossible situation with an impossible debt. But you might be thinking, how foolish, how stupid this servant to, to secure such a line of credit and then to use up all this line of credit. But it's actually a parable about us, a parable about you and me. See, this servant, this is, this is you, this is me. Each one of us, we have an impossible debt that we owe God. Jesus commands us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. God has given us laws to obey that every human being is bound to obey. God is our creator. God is our judge. And each time we fall short of following his commands, his laws, of lining up our lives according to his character, each time we fall short, the debt of sin is added to our tab. So you might recall from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you know the commandment, you shall not murder, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with another person, everyone who insults another person, everyone who says, you fool, that makes you guilty of breaking that commandment. So every time you're angry, your debt of sin increases. Every time you insult somebody, every time you say, you fool, you idiot, your debt of sin increases. But that's not all. Jesus said, you know the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks with lust at another person has committed adultery in their heart. So every lustful glance increases your sin debt. Every time that someone indulges in pornography, that increases your sin debt. Every time you flirt with someone that you shouldn't be, your sin debt increases. We're commanded not to swear falsely, but every lie that's spoken increases your sin debt. Every exaggeration, every careless word increases your sin debt. And finally, most of all, we're commanded to worship the Lord our God, and Him only shall we serve. But we don't worship God all the time. We don't serve God all the time and only serve God. We serve our appetites. We serve our ambitions. We serve our own comfort. We serve ourselves. And so the debt of sin adds up day after day, week after week, year after year, to the point that we owe the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. And this servant is you. It's me. King David in Psalm 40, verse 12, writes this, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Because God, because God is a holy God, He has to punish sin. He has to punish everything that is in violation of his holy law, his holy character, his holy will. That means justice would have required God to strike you and me down the first time you told a lie. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They told one lie. They were struck down for their sin. Justice would have required God to strike you down the first time you stole something. That's what happened to Achan in the book of Joshua. He stole a few things, and then he was struck down for his sin. Justice would have required God to strike you down the first time you committed an act of idolatry, the first time 
you decided you didn't want to worship and serve God alone. You wanted to worship and serve something else. You find your satisfaction in something else other than God alone. And so on and on and on. Our debts pile up. And the day of reckoning comes and the sin has to be punished. The debt has to be paid. The Bible warns us that the wages of sin is death. Which means separation from God. Separation from God in a, in a place of eternal destruction and punishment so fearsome, so fierce, that the Bible calls it hell, a place of eternal fire. And it's infinite punishment because of infinite debt. It's a debt that none of us could ever pay off, a debt against an infinitely holy and good God. But God... But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he showed us. While we were yet dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. But God shows us his own mercy in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we see the but God moment in verse 27. But God in verse 27. In verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. Do you see the pity, the compassion, the infinite love of God for sinners like you and me who only deserve infinite punishment? You see the generosity of this king who released and forgave the debt of that servant. Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins, to save each one of us from, from what we could never do or accomplish on our own. We could never save ourselves. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he did just that for you and for me. When he went to the cross, joyfully and willingly, surrendering his life, dying on the cross under the wrath and judgment of the Father, so, so our sin debt could be paid. Our 10,000 talents could be paid. I love the lyrics from Man of Sorrows. We're going to just look at, reflect on it briefly here. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ here this afternoon, if you have repented of your sins, if you've turned away from your sins, if you are trusting in Christ, then this is your reality. Your debt is paid. It's paid in full by the precious blood that your Jesus spilled. But there are some here who have yet to experience this. You have a debt, but it hasn't been paid. You're still carrying this 10,000 talent debt. So my question for you this afternoon is, what are you going to do with your debt? What are you going to do when you meet your God and judge one day with every thought that you thought that you shouldn't have thought, every word you said that you shouldn't have said, and everything you did that you shouldn't have done? My question for you this afternoon is, will you receive the infinite 
mercy and forgiveness of our great God. Will you receive it? Jesus says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So will you turn to Jesus? If you, if you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, will you give up everything? Give up your sin. Give up living for yourself. Give up everything so that you could have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Will you do that? Will you do that even today? Trusting in Christ alone, surrendering your life to Him, that you might receive infinite grace, infinite love, infinite forgiveness. You don't want to wait. You don't know how much time you have left. In fact, tonight, your soul might be required of you. Tonight, you might be standing face to face with God, your God and judge. And you want to be ready. God wants you to be ready. So repent today. But let's get back to Peter and his question. He asks Jesus, how often do I need to forgive my brother who sins against me? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him alone, you've experience this infinite forgiveness, this unlimited forgiveness. And if you've experienced that, well, your natural response is to, be, to forgive others. You've been given an infinite forgiveness, so you can't help but to extend that forgiveness to other people, the people who have wronged you. If you've been forgiven like that, you can't help but to forgive other people in light of what the king and the master has done, wiping out our infinite debt, our 10,000 talent debt, to resent or to move on. Those, those simply aren't categories for the disciple of Jesus Christ. That divine forgiveness from King Jesus is so powerful, it changes everything. It changes everything. And there are two truths I want us to take from this passage. First, forgiven people forgive other people. Forgiven people forgive other people. And the second truth, if you're an unforgiving person, you are unforgiven by God. If you are an unforgiving person, you are unforgiven by God. This is where the parable takes an interesting turn. Let's look at verses 28 through 31. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So we see this first servant who's just been forgiven a 10,000 talent debt, an infinite debt. But what's the first thing he does with his newfound freedom? Well, he tracks down a fellow servant, a co-worker, someone who owes him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii, that's a hundred days of wages. You would have 
had to work 100 days to earn that amount of money, and then demands that the debt be repaid immediately. Now, 100 days of wages, that's not a, that's not a trivial amount. We're talking about an actual debt, actual sins that have been committed against us. And if you've lived any length of time in this world, you've been a victim of sin. In some way, some form, some fashion, you've been sinned against. Someone has taken advantage of you. Someone has hurt you. Maybe you've been publicly humiliated when you should have been honored. You've been a victim of some form of injustice. I was speaking with a, a fellow brother here at Risen Hope a couple weeks back, and he was telling me about a car accident he was recently involved in. He was driving, and somebody else hit him. They pulled to the side, exchanged their information, both drivers. They called the police to get a report. The police took down the other driver's account and then his account. Uh, he was hit by the other car. It wasn't his fault. But then when he went to go request the police report, to his shock, his side of the story was completely blank. It was completely omitted. There was nothing there telling his side of the story. At the very least, our brother was the victim of gross negligence. At the very worst, malicious intent. A malicious intent. And we're talking about a real act of injustice here. And without contesting it, our brother would have been on the hook for thousands of dollars of car damages. How have you been sinned against? Maybe someone has spoken an unkind word to you, or worse, spoken to everybody else around you, and you hear about it later on, what was spoken behind your back. Maybe someone exploded in anger at you in a way that was totally disproportionate to what the situation required. There was an explosion of anger, and you were, the, uh, you, you were on the receiving end of that. Maybe you've been disrespected by your children or by your teenagers. The children and teens that you have poured so much into, those who should give you some level of respect and honor, they've dishonored you and they've disrespected you. They've repaid you evil for good. Maybe you've been cheated from what was rightfully yours. You've been lied from. You've been stolen from. Maybe you've been the victim of a crime. An act of injustice. Church, we have to remember that we live in a messed up world. Full of sinful people like you and me. People who have sinned against us. But Jesus wants us to put the sins of others against us into perspective. You see, the sins against us, the debts that others owe us, that's like a hundred denarii. It's a real debt. It's a real sin. It's a real offense. But it's nothing compared to the 10,000 talents we owe God, the infinite debt we owe God. Remember, a hundred denarii, that's a hundred days of work. 10,000 talents is a hundred million days of work. A hundred days versus a hundred million. Jesus wants us to remember that the debt owed us, it's a real debt, it's a real offense, it's real hurt, real injustice. It's pennies compared to the debt of sin we owe God. The infinite debt that we owe God. 
And when you know that you've been forgiven an infinite debt that you owe God, you can't help but forgive the pennies that the others, others owe you. Forgiven people forgive other people. But that's not what we see with this servant. He chokes the, his fellow servant, his, his co-worker, and says, pay what you owe. And the second servant pleads for mercy. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's hard to miss that irony there. The language that the second servant uses to plead for mercy is almost identical to the language used by the first servant when he was pleading for mercy. But in verse 30, rather than recognize and remember and realize the debt that was forgiven him, he refused. He refused. And the Greek verb used is a, is a progressive verb. It usually indicates ongoing activity. So it wasn't a one-and-done kind of deal. It was an ongoing refusal to offer mercy. An ongoing, continual refusal to give mercy by one who had been the recipient of infinite mercy. If you're a disciple here, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, are you holding on to unforgiveness? Is there anybody in your life, your family, within your community, co-workers, people you know that you're not willing to forgive? Are you refusing to forgive pennies when you've been forgiven infinite debt? Are you so focused on the sins of others that you have forgotten the infinite debt that God has forgiven you? Have you so quickly cast aside the forgiveness of Christ so you can hold on to bitterness and anger and the ability to resent? Forgiven people forgive other people. I want to pause here and take a moment to clarify what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness doesn't mean consequences disappear. So when you choose to forgive somebody, release that debt, release those pennies, it doesn't mean the consequences for that person disappear. If someone breaks the law, they have to face the consequences for their actions. There's a biblical principle of you reap what you sow. You sow sin, evil, and sinful, destructive choices. You will reap the consequences of those destructive choices. The state, our government, is, is obligated to enforce the laws of the land. It's obligated to punish those who do wrong and reward those who do right. In a similar way, Jesus commands the church to carry out church discipline. If there is a disciple within the church that chooses to love sin more than love Christ, refuses to repent, holds on to sin, refuses to repent, then eventually they have to be removed. So forgiveness doesn't mean consequences disappear. Forgiveness also doesn't mean trust. As disciples of Christ, we're obligated to forgive those who sin against us, but we're not obligated to put them in a position of trust. If someone is guilty of child abuse, they shouldn't be allowed anywhere near children. We can choose to forgive and choose to exercise wisdom. You can forgive the bank robber, but that doesn't mean you have to hire the bank robber as your bank teller. 
So let me recap. Forgiveness doesn't mean consequences disappear. And forgiveness doesn't mean trust. But what we have seen so far is that forgiven people forgive other people. At least they should. And the opposite is true. An unforgiving person is unforgiven by God. Let's look at the conclusion for this parable in verses 32 through 35. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This parable concludes with a warning, with a warning from King Jesus. We see the true nature of this unforgiving servant. This wasn't just a, a servant who wanted the debt to be paid, maybe had a bad day, maybe just didn't feel like forgiving at that moment. This servant is condemned as a wicked servant, a wicked servant. Now, why was he condemned? Well, infinite forgiveness from the king, that changes your life. And if someone refuses to forgive, it proves that they were never forgiven in the first place. Alexander McLaren puts it this way. The foundation of all real mercifulness in men is the reception of forgiving mercy from God. We must have experienced it before we can exercise it. And second, we must exercise it if we desire to continue to experience it. Do you, see the, do you see how experience and exercise, they're interconnected, they're inseparable. Experience leads to exercise. If you experience the divine forgiveness of God, you can't help but exercise forgiveness towards others. Experience leads to exercise. But also, exercise proves experience. Exercise proves experience. The exercise of forgiveness, when people sin against you, when they wrong you, the exercise of forgiveness proves that you have experienced the divine forgiveness of God. Experience leads to exercise, and exercise proves experience. But we see with this wicked servant that he never really experienced the forgiving mercy of God. And we know that because he was unable to exercise forgiveness. He was unable to exercise it. And the warning that King Jesus gives us in verse 34 is this. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And the Greek word translated jailer is probably better translated torturer torture. So verse 34 would read, and in anger his master delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all his debt. And if that makes you feel 
a bit uncomfortable. It should. It should make all of us feel uncomfortable. By rejecting the mercy, the infinite mercy and forgiveness of the master, the only thing left for the servant was judgment. And because his debt was infinite, he was condemned to infinite punishment. And this servant, this, this guy, he's locked in prison. There's, there's no way he's getting out. There's no way he's working. There's no way he's doing anything towards paying off this debt. He will never work off this debt. There's no escape, no relief. It's eternal punishment, which means that after this wicked servant has spent 10,000 years in hell, 10 million years, 10 billion years, 10 trillion lifetimes, he isn't one second closer to finishing his sentence. It's not one second. It's an eternal, everlasting sentence. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ here, but you can't bear to forgive somebody, if you won't forgive somebody, then Jesus warns you. You might think that you're following Jesus, but you're not following. You're not following his way, his path. You're following your own. But if you are a disciple, if you are a disciple, we are called by God to forgive your brother from your heart. To forgive your brother from your heart. And this is, this is the part where we have to be careful that as we go about our life, as we choose to forgive as we have been forgiven, we need to make sure we don't attach conditions to our forgiveness. There's no ifs. No ands, no buts. We can be tempted to add conditions. We can be tempted to say something like this. I forgive you, but if you hadn't spoken to me that way. I forgive you, but if you hadn't done this or that. I forgive you, but... Or we might be tempted to say, I'm forgiving you for all the hurt you've done me. And sneak in a little accusation there while you're at it. Jesus is talking about complete and unconditional, no strings attached forgiveness. That means when we forgive, we choose not to hold the offense, the debt against somebody. I've never really been a fan of the phrase forgive and forget. I'm sure we've all heard of that, very familiar with it. If you've been wrong, if someone's hurt you, if you've been a victim of injustice, you can't just forget about it. You might be carrying ongoing scars from that. You can't just forget, but you can choose not to remember. Choose not to bring it up. Choose not to hold it against the person. Choose not to wield it as a weapon. You can choose to release it into God's hand and choose to give up and release into his hands any bitterness or anger or resentment you might want to hold on to. You see, it's countercultural for Jesus to call us to that kind of forgiveness, to forgive 77 times, a forgiveness without counting, an unlimited forgiveness. It's countercultural because our culture tells us, well, if you don't want to forgive and forget, you can choose to resent, you can choose to move on. But Jesus gloriously shows us a better way. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Psalm 103 says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love towards those who fear you. 
as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So church, we have the power, the power of God living within us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted, to forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave each one of us. When you've experienced that kind of love, that kind of forgiveness, you can't help but give that kind of love, give that kind of forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 in the NIV says, Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love keeps no records of wrongs. And if you are trusting Jesus Christ this afternoon, that's your reality. God has no records of wrong for you. All of your debt has been completely paid, completely wiped out because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, forgiven people forgive other people. But the opposite is also true. The opposite, which is a warning for each one of us. If you're an unforgiven person, it shows that you're unforgiven by God. So church, with this knowledge, with this reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, in giving up His Son for us all, let's forgive much because we've been forgiven much. Let us love much because we've been loved much. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, while we were yet under the sentence of eternal condemnation, in love, in pity, in compassion, you sent forth your Son. Lord, to do that which we could never do, to obey your law in thought, word, and deed, to obey your law perfectly, to be perfect as your law requires, and then to suffer and die for each one of us. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay our sin debt. Help us, oh God, by your Spirit to forgive others, even as we've been forgiven. In Jesus' name.